The book of Exodus, if you want to turn to this book. The beginning study of a book, it is essential that you look for the prominent and dominant theme of that book. Every book in the Bible has a prominent and dominant theme which is peculiar to itself and around which everything is made to center. So that when you study a book, you want to find the theme of that book if you want to understand it. And around, every, around that theme, everything is made to center. It doesn't make sense if you don't know the theme. The theme of the book of Exodus is redemption. Redemption. A definition of redemption is to purchase a slave with, view, with a view to freedom. I love it. The purchase of a slave with, with a view to freedom so that these slaves were redeemed from slavery in Egypt's bondage with a view to their freedom. I guess we should have had the Exodus theme tonight. What a, what a, what a thought that God has in His plan purposed that we be free. Now the content of the book of Exodus divides into five divisions. Watch this. Jot these down if you will. In chapters 1 through 6, the need of redemption pictured by a people enslaved. The need of redemption. The story of my life and yours. The need of redemption. Number two, the might of the Redeemer displayed in the plagues of Egypt, verses seven, chapters 7 through 11. The might of the Redeemer. Now we're going to discuss this later on in detail, but you probably may, may know this, you probably don't, that these um, plagues in, uh, that God brought upon Egypt were not just... God's hand of wrath to get him to let them go. For each one of these um, uh, entities, frogs and, and lice, the Nile River turned to blood, each one of these represent an Egyptian deity. There were thousands of deities in Egypt, gods that they worshipped. They worshipped frogs, they worshipped Cattle, they worship lice, the insects. The Nile was a god to the Egyptians. And, and what you have in these plagues is the struggle between the God of the Bible and the gods of the Egypts, of the Egyptians. And God is proving his might and his power to redeem. It's one thing to need redemption, it's another thing to have a redeemer that can affect that. The might of the Redeemer, verses chapters 11, 7 through 11. Third, watch this. The character of redemption. What kind of redemption is it and what is its nature? It is a redemption that is purchased by blood and emancipated by power. We're going to talk in a minute about types. Let me run ahead of just a little bit. The theme of this redemption is a redemption that's purchased by blood and emancipated by power. 
Thus the New Testament redemption is purchased by blood and emancipated by the power of the resurrection. That's the nature of the characteristic of the redemption. Number four, we're taught the duty of the redeemed in chapters 19 through 24. By the way, character redemption is 12 through 18. 19 through 24, we're taught the duty of the redeemed, that is, obedience to the Lord. There is a responsibility of the redeemed, and that is to be obedient to God. And then five, provisions made for the failure of the redeemed in the tabernacle and in its services, chapters 25 through 40. Now I want you to look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 13, for the key verse. Exodus 15, 13, the key verse. In thy loving kindness thou hast led the people whom thou hast redeemed. In thy strength thou hast guided them to thy holy habitation. Oh, man. I want you to zero in on that great statement. God is saying through Moses, this is the story of redemption. I've brought you out of slavery. I led you out of slavery. I led you from the darkness to the light. I found you in bondage and I broke the shackles of that bondage and I gave you freedom. And I led you not only out of slavery, but I led you into holiness, into my holy habitation. For the great effect of redemption is not just that we are saved from sin, but we are saved to holiness. To holiness. Now most of us, um, you know, we stop too soon. We talk about being saved from sin and we're snatched out of the you know, the uh, bondage of death and we're released from, from our uh, sentence of death and, and subject to, to, to eternal damnation and we stop there. We're not saved. When we're saved, we're not saved to get us out of hell. We're saved to get us into holiness that there might be this holy people in this holy habitation dwelling in this holiness like the Father who redeemed us. What a thought. What a thought. Now there is a basic principle. Now you must get this principle. Those of you who have been here a little while, um, I went over and helped Ross Kirvin celebrate his 20th anniversary as a pastor of the First Presbyterian Church. Somebody asked me how long it's going to be before I be celebrating 25 years. Longer than you would want, <laughs> I promise. If you've been here though a little while, you'll know this basic principle. Here it is. That you get the principles of the Christian life in the New Testament. And you get the pictures of those principles in the Old Testament. So what you have taught in principle in the New Testament is pictured in illustration in the Old Testament, then the Old Testament will come alive if somehow that you get hold of that. So that you get over here and you get a New Testament principle and you get an Old Testament picture of that. 
For in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Redeemer. In the New Testament age, we are living in the age of the Redeemer, and we're looking back to His being forecast or typified in the Old Testament. So you get a picture of Him in the Old Testament. And what you find in the book of Exodus is a picture of the redemption that's going to be available in in Christ in the future to us. What a thought. And many of those pictures are found in the types of the Old Testament. Now we need to get a little study just for a a brief moment on typology. Now the word type means figure or pattern or fashioning example. So that types are object pictures or object lessons in picture by which God taught His people concerning His grace and saving power. I need to say it again for that person who's taking notes. Notice singular person. These types are picture object lessons by which God taught His people concerning His grace and saving power. Now the Mosaic system was a kind of kindergarten in which God's people were, were, were trained in divine things by which also they were led to look for better things to come. The Mosaic system was a kind of kindergarten by which God taught them divine things and helped them look for that which was to come. Some old writer in an Old Testament commentary said that God in the types of the Old Testament was teaching His children their letters, the alphabet. But in the New Testament dispensation, He is teaching us how to put the letters together and we find that they always spell Christ and nothing but Christ. Well, let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying everywhere you look in the book of Exodus, you're going to see a picture, a type of what is to come in Jesus Christ. And when you put these alphabetical letters together in these types in the Old Testament and you start putting them together in the New Testament Testament dispensation where we can look back on them, we find that everything in the book of Exodus spells Christ and nothing but. No wonder. Jesus could say to to Nicodemus, do you mean to tell me that you're a teacher of the law and you haven't heard of me? Now you get a hold of what that said. You mean to tell me that you know the Old Testament, the Exodus, you know Exodus, you know the Old Testament, the commandment of Moses, and you don't know me? In the implication there, in that incredulous statement of Jesus, his, in, his incredulous thought, full of feeling, was that, that anybody who studies the book of Exodus and the Mosaic system ought to know that the theme of that is Christ and only Christ. Now, a type is always prefiguring something future. It has the element of prediction always in it. Now, there are three kinds of types. Well, this is introduction. This motor's revving up. We're getting on the runway. We'll get off the ground here about two weeks. They're they're person types. Person types. Now, person types are those personages of Scripture, those characters of Scripture 
whose lives and experiences illustrate some principal truth of redemption. Now let me, give you, let me show you an example. You turn in your New Testament to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans 5. This is, a, this is an obvious example. You've heard it before. Romans 5, 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until, until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now you talk to me. Who is this him who was to come? Jesus. And Adam is a type of him who was to come. And this is how he typifies Jesus in this person type. And, and Paul talks about it in this chapter, that just as through Adam sin came, or death came by sin to all of us, so through Jesus, through Him, has redemption come to us. So that Adam is a type of Jesus who is to come, because through, through Adam came death, through Jesus comes life. That's person type. Second, they're historical types. Now historical types are historical events foreshadowing of good things to come. Now you remember the story from Exodus of the, putting the blood on the doorpost of the house and if you saw the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and, and uh, those people. They put this blood on the doorpost and the death angel passed by, you know, where there was blood. Now what does that typify? It typifies the great event of the bloodshed of Jesus and the passing by, the death angels passing by those who are under the blood in a spiritual figurative sense. Then there are literal types, that is the altar and the priesthood and the tabernacle and the furniture. Now let me say something here, you know, just to kind of nail this down, and we may not have time to deal with much of this. But when we get to the tabernacle, those of you who studied in our Sunday school class, the book of Exodus, it's a thrilling study, the tabernacle, because the tabernacle was this temporary dwelling place of Almighty God in the wilderness. And His, His presence was there in the Shekinah, in, in the holiest place of the tabernacle. And He, he dwelled spiritually, symbolically, over the uh, mercy seat, the, the lid, literally, of the Ark of the Covenant. And this tabernacle symbolized the temporary dwelling place of God with man. And everything in the tabernacle, even the furnishings of the tabernacle, and the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place, is all, all of it typifies or is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And everything about the tabernacle is a foreshadowing or foregleaning or a typology of the temporary dwelling place of God with man in the person of Jesus. And it is a magnificent study to do it. Now, there are three great contributions to the book of Exodus. Please get these. Three great contributions of Exodus in biblical thought. Number one, 
God is best known. God is best known by His name and His actions. And both are clearly underscored in the book of Exodus. Now in the book of Exodus, I want you to turn to verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. 14 and 15 of 3. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Now to you and, and, to, to you and me, that doesn't mean much. To the Jew, it was everything. God has a name. Now if God has a name, that means God has a personality. He is a personal presence. To the Jew, God was this unapproachable, holy other God that was detached somewhere. that He lived on a throne. And what God is saying to Moses is that, that you need to know the God of the Old Testament. You need to know the God of Exodus is a God who is personally involved in your life, in the life of your fathers. And there is in this God, this eternal and abiding presence, God has a name. You can call Him by name. And this verb rendering, hayah, means to be or to cause to be or to cause to happen. And what he's saying is that I am a God who is personally involved in your life and I'm able to make things happen for you. If I need a God, I need a God just like that. I need a God I can talk to by name. I need a God I know that's involved in my life in this struggle in my life, and I need to know that this God is a God who can make things happen for me. That's the contribution that Exodus makes. If you want to know what God is like, look at what He's done. He led His people out of famine into Egypt to preserve them. Then He raised up a man and led them out of there. This is what He's saying. You need to see the the historicity of this God. He's always been involved in your life. He can make things happen. Secondly, the book of Exodus provides a clear example of the Old Testament concept of history. Now the Old Testament concept of history was theocentric. The word theo is the word for God. Centric means centered. So it says he's saying that the concept of history in Exodus is that God is the center of history. They saw history under God's management. They saw history 
has, having its source in God, that history takes place for God. Now, if I need a God, I need to have a, I need, I need a God who is in control, who is managing the history of my life, and that my life is being lived out on a stage for Him. And all of my history, the history of my life that matters to it all is, is lived for Him. Exodus, the third contribution of Exodus is this. Exodus is the quarry from which the covenant is hewn. And that sounds like some kind of preacher language, doesn't it? The quarry from which the covenant is hewn. What in the world does that mean? Well, the covenant was the promise God made with His people. Now watch this carefully. When the patriarchs, there were covenants made to Abraham. When the patriarchs began to talk about the covenant, they referred to the covenant of Moses, not Abraham. And what they were saying is this, that we live our lives on the basis of God's Word to us. And we live our lives, the basis of our life is on His promise to us. Hallelujah for that. Is that my, the success of my life and the history of my life as a Christian is not based upon my success as a Christian. It's based upon the promise of His Word. I have His Word. And God has entered into a relationship with us that, go, that supersedes the relationship of the law, my obedience to the law. It's a relationship that's based upon His Word to me, and I live off the promise of God, standing on the promises we sing. And the promise is as trustworthy as the one who makes the promise. Now, we have five minutes to just look at the narrative. So I want to just kind of introduce verse 1. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They each came from, each came, they came each one from his household. List the names. And all the persons who came from the loins of Joseph, of Jacob, were seventy in number. But Joseph was already in Egypt. Now he's connecting Exodus 1 to Genesis 47. And in Genesis 47, the, the family of, of Joseph came down to Egypt in fleeing from the famine. You know that from Sunday school. There were 70 of them. And Joseph was already down in Egypt because in the providence of God, just look at this, in the providence of God he had his brothers sell him into slavery. So they're down in Egypt. He's down in Egypt getting ready for his brothers to come down there from the famine. Couldn't be by accident. And Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that, they had, so that the land was filled with them. That's relative. You understand that relative. How, how many of them were they? Well, we don't know. Millions. 
There's a swarm of them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, I want us, the time will allow us to go any further. I just want to make a point of that statement. I, uh, my, my, the president of my days at the seminary was Robert Naylor. See there when you were there, Mark, Bob Naylor? He loved this verse. There arose a generation that didn't know Joseph. Now the point of this is that there is, uh, in, all, in the providence of God, there was one man that saved a nation. And as long as that man was alive, God preserved by and through him the nation. Now, these are critical times that we, which we live, and, and they're dangerous times. And in the, um, you know, in the prayer life of God's people, there ought to be this prayer, Lord, raise up some man like Joseph who will save this nation. Somebody who will stand in the gap and be the person that preserves a, a people, a nation, a remnant. You be that person. And God's not going to let them die. And He's going to raise up somebody that's going to be the Savior of that group, that remnant. Would it be you? Could it be you? The world's yet to see what could happen with one, when one person's totally committed to Him. There are a lot of young people here today. It's been a great day for youth. I heard that I heard wild man Dave Sammons talking about old preachers last night. Yeah. I heard that kid on the front row say like Brother Gerald, didn't was that you? It's been a great day for youth. You you kids, let me say this just, you know, off the cuff. You need to be forever grateful that you have the privilege growing up in this church. You really do. Have the people you have and Ed and Andy and Mark to lead you, your Sunday school teachers. There's got to be somebody out here who would say, I want to be that man that is totally committed to God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that in your great heart, your plan is to redeem the world. And you long to set men free from their bondages. Save us that we might have a holy life. I thank you, Lord, for the call that comes to follow Jesus, to live for him, who is the the center and the subject of all Scripture, the source of all life, joy, and happiness. God, I pray that each of us would decide to follow Him. For I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake, now in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if God speaks to your heart tonight concerning this invitation, 
to invite you to come right on the first word and respond to him while we sing.